0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hi podcast listeners.
0: Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you and welcome to any new listeners. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Yeah, we are, um, as Christopher said, happy to be at uh, Visiting with our listeners, answering questions today, I wanted to share with you something that we did last night. We got to do this because we have this ministry, so it's a little blessing for us, mm-hmm. and that is...
0: We got an advanced copy of Father Stu, the movie with Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson about a rough-and-tumble guy who becomes a Catholic priest, and you know, we were asked to watch it in advance and do a little review of it. So we're going to be doing a review on our YouTube channel, yeah. and Bill Dunahy from the TOB Institute was able to interview Mark Wahlberg in person, which was very fun. So these are people in Hollywood. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is a Catholic, and he's trying to tell the story about a, a Catholic priest who who is an unlikely candidate to become a Catholic yeah. priest. And it's not... What I appreciated about it is it's not one of those. Oh, I I, I want to be charitable here, but I generally don't really like those overtly faith-based Christian movies. They're they're generally kind of I don't know, not artistically well put together, and maybe afraid of real humanity. And uh, there's it's kind of predictable. You know, like okay, here comes the altar call and. Um, yeah it's kind of preaching to the choir the people who go to see those movies and and God bless them all I mean I don't I don't want to be overly critical they're they're trying to do a good thing in getting the gospel out there and I'm all for that but I'm also all for getting the gospel out there with real art and and I think there are some some um, flaws in this movie father Stu but uh, it's going to reach a, a wider audience than the typical, Christian movie. Yeah, um, it's it's rated R, and it's rated R because there are F bombs aplenty, mm. and I think I think you're only allowed like one or two F bombs uh, before it's an R rating, and this went way over that limit. So this is not family viewing. I just want to put that out there. Um, but it's it's honest storytelling. This this guy is really. Had a rough, rough life. And I think one of the scenes that touched me... I'm, maybe I shouldn't give it away.
1: <laughs> Rethinking that I'll comment. I'll only
0: say this. There's there's an encounter with the Blessed Mother that I was not expecting. Mm. And...
1: And it was powerful.
0: It was powerful. Yeah. And there's a beautiful sermon he gives as a newly ordained priest about the power of suffering. Yeah. That was really, really moving. But I... I do you want to say anything, Wendy? Yeah,
1: just how countercultural that message is—that suffering has value. Like, yeah. who ever says that?
0: Yeah, all we hear in the culture is, "Well, here's my '80s upbringing. I haven't got time for the pain." Remember that? Old <laughs> oh yes, commercial that yeah. used that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to add this. It would be we would be remiss at the theology of the Body Institute not to point out that there's a line in this movie that is heretical <laughs> and is just it's evidence of how desperately we need to know the theology of our bodies he says something like he's he's a seminarian and and the rector is telling him he may, might not be able to be ordained because of a i'm giving some of the movie away here but it's it's kind of in the trailers too so he has a degenerative disease that his muscles are failing and he ends up in a wheelchair um and the, the rector of the seminary says, well, you might not be be able to be ordained because of this. And he says something like, we are not human beings having a spiritual sp- experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. My body doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything to God, so it shouldn't mean anything to you either. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no.
1: Yeah, so clarify that. Okay. Especially that first part where he's contrasting about spiritual beings. We are
0: not spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. Angels are spiritual beings. We are human beings. And human beings are not angels trapped in flesh, as if the body doesn't matter. We have this idea that because we know our bodies return to dust, we tend to think of our bodies as not really all that important to our humanity. If the body is not important to our humanity, the incarnation makes no sense. Right now, we believe there is a male body and a female body, the new Adam, the new Eve, participating in the eternal exchange of Trinitarian bliss. And this is the destiny, not just of Jesus and Mary. This is the destiny of every body. Matter matters. The Christianity proclaims not salvation from the body, but salvation of the body. Our bodies will return to dust, but that dust at the end of time will be gathered up again, and God once once again, like He did in the beginning, will breathe His life into it. So we proclaim resurrection of the body. Matter matters. And it's just sad that, that that's not understood more, more clearly in in catholic circles. I mean this is this is not a footnote. This is the heart of our faith, resurrection of the body.
1: And I think also the overwhelming message of the movie isn't really that line. Yeah, and no,
0: it's not. That was that was a quick line that kind of came and went, but right. but as one very sensitive to these yeah. truths of our faith, it, it it kind of was a sour note.
1: Yeah, and we don't know whether Father Stu or seminarian Stuart actually said the those words. And I think what his character is trying to communicate there is a faith that God is going to be able to work through him in spite of his um, failing health. And he's right about that. He's
0: absolutely right about that. And in
1: fact, uses the failing health of his body to increase the power of his ministry. So all of that, you know, is a beautiful message that
0: comes across. Yeah. Yeah. Overarching, very good message in this movie. Mm -hmm. Again, just Forewarning, it's not family fair, right. but, but worth watching.
1: Yeah. Any updates from the TOB Institute?
0: Yes, please check the link below if you haven't already to learn more about our Revealed event coming May 13th to the 15th. There are three ways to participate. You can come in person and hear Mike, Father Mike Schmitz, Jeff Cavins, Matt Frad has joined the roster uh, Damon Owens, yours truly, Bill Dunahy, Jason Evert. I know I'm forgetting some because we have such a, an awesome lineup of speakers, but check out the link. Uh, there's going to be not only the keynotes, which you can also watch for free online, uh, but we're going to have these roundtable discussions, kind of sit down, informal conversations between the speakers, and we're going to have some very creative interaction for our premium pass holders uh, online you can watch the keynotes for free online but to sign up if you sign up for the premium pass online you'll also have access to these very creative interactive um, conversations with these speakers we're, we're trying to do something different here uh, and yeah just check out the link to learn more I think you'll you'll really appreciate what we're trying yes, to do here
1: yes and are you ready for a question from a patron now let's do it okay this question is from a patron named Joe hello Joe A recent episode of your podcast really struck me hard. You answered a question from a woman who was devastated by learning about her husband's infidelity by watching porn. Several years ago, my wife and I went through a very difficult time during which we had no intimacy and I was using porn almost daily.
0: Mm, Mercy.
1: Like many men, I didn't consider what I was doing as adultery. While I was tempted many times during our dark period, I never hooked up with another woman. But you made me realize that what I had done was just as bad. I now wonder if I deserve to ever have true intimacy with my wife again. I have been free by God's grace for three years now. I don't know if she ever knew about my sin. And at this point, I don't feel like there's any value in telling her and potentially hurting her in the same way. But she exhibits all the behaviors that the woman in the podcast described. She won't undress in front of me. Sex, when we occasionally have it, is very disconnected. I have taken my sinfulness to confession on more than one occasion, and yet I now have this deep feeling of unworthiness, unholiness, Mm. and discouragement. Mm. I doubt I'm alone. Any person who has committed adultery who truly has a heart that can love, would feel the same way. Any words of encouragement on how to deal with this brokenness would be appreciated, particularly how can we grow and develop our marital intimacy again when I feel like I'm not worthy to share the marital embrace with my wife.
0: Joe, bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. I am so glad you have entrusted this pang, this deep pain of your heart to us. I hope we can speak some words that will encourage you, and I I want to breathe hope into your heart. Mm -hmm. This we can rely on with our whole selves. Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's you, that's me. That's your wife, that's my wife. That's all of us. Christ came into the world for you. He knows all about this. He knows the, the sufferings it has caused in you, in your wife, the rupture it has caused in your marriage. He knows it full well. And for precisely this reason, to save your marriage, Christ was stripped naked and nailed to a tree and rose from the dead so that you and your wife can live a new life and brother, you're already on the road. The, one of the most important steps is just putting out into the light what has happened. There are a few things you said that I want to comment on. You said, Joe, I now wonder if I deserve to ever have true intimacy with my wife again. I want to zoom in on that word, deserve. We, we live in a world that teaches us that uh, if you if you're a good little boy then you'll get a treat hmm. if you're a bad little boy then you won't get anything you'll be deprived this is this is not the paradigm of God's merciful love what do we say before every communion which by the way when we receive the Eucharist, it is an intimacy far more profound than the marital embrace. Mm. It is an intimacy of the, the deepest kind with God. <laughs> what do we say? We say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, that you should come into my this place of intimacy with me, that you should enter into my very being. I am not worthy— but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Brother, this is is the posture of all of us when it comes to intimacy with the Lord, and what's the whole principle of theology of the body, the intimacy of a husband and a wife is a sign, a sacramental sign of this intimacy with the Lord. And Wendy, you and I have known deep wounds in our marriage, deep pains and sufferings. And, and we have both had that feeling of not being worthy to receive the other. Yes. And we've even prayed in our, in our own marriage, uh, in our own marriage bed, we've prayed, Lord, we are not worthy. We are not worthy, but only say the word and we shall be healed. Brother, you can trust that the Lord is saying that word that word of healing, but the word of healing is an invitation into a journey of coming into the light. And you said, you're not sure if you should even say to your wife or share with your wife what you had been through. I can understand that. I, 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 there may be situations, I want to say this first, there may be situations in which the wounds are so deep, it is not the right time It is not the right occasion to share what has has really happened. I want to recognize that that may be true, but I also want to say this because this is true. Brother, my brother Joe, between here and the beatific vision, between here and the eternal union with God, everything must come into the light, everything. And you've even already kind of acknowledged this, Your wife, I don't know where this comes from, Wendy, you have this gift. I think every woman, to one degree or another, has this gift of interior knowledge. Like, you can't hide this from your wife, Joe. She already knows. Whether she knows it explicitly or not, she feels it in her heart, as is evidenced by, as you said, she's afraid to undress in front of you. When you do come together in in your marital union, it's... um, What I forget the word he used. Disconnected. Disconnected. Brother, those are all symptoms that she knows something in her heart is off and has been off. Again, it's a matter of of prudential judgment as to when, how, in what circumstances, and to what degree you unfold these things. But my recommendation would be look for the opportunities and the ways to come into the light. If you do not, I I believe it will will prevent the healing you desire. There's a fear there, of course. What will she say? What will she think? My best guess, brother, and I don't have a crystal ball here, but my best guess is she will be relieved because she will, will now know what she has intuited, that she wasn't crazy to intuit it. Here's something I would hold out to you, my brother. You are a patron, and for that I am I'm so grateful. We at the TOB Institute, we can't survive without the support of our patrons, so thank you, brother. As a patron, you have access to these online retreats that we have Uh, given our patrons. We we do it four times a year, and we record them, and they're in your library, and I want to point you to two specific retreats already accessible to you as a patron of the TOB Institute. One is the retreat I did with Andrew Comiskey and his team at Desert Stream Ministries, uh, and the other one is a retreat I did with Dr. Bob Schutz. Both of those retreats that we led for our patrons deal specifically with the journey of sexual healing and sexual integration. How can we heal from our sexual wounds? How, as as broken, sinful people as we are, how can we journey towards a deeper integration of sexuality and spirituality? I think, Joe, you will find these retreats deeply healing for you and will, will help you on your journey. Uh, Wendy, what are... What are some of your thoughts here?
1: I'm I'm also struck by the grace that is at work in Joe's heart right now as you are, my love. And I I it's Lent and there is a beautiful gift when really you are convicted on a deeper level.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Of your sinfulness, but it is hard. It's hard to look at. Um, and yet the Lord isn't leaving you alone there to just look at it and and be in despair and self-rejection. That's, that is not the work of the Lord. When he is revealing this, he's also revealing his love and his mercy that is so available. Um, so I think it is a beautiful step on the road to deeper intimacy, and it, it's not the Lord telling you that there's no... You're unworthy of intimacy. That's that's not his voice in your heart. That's, uh, that's an attempt by the evil one to keep you just in a place of despair. So I really want to speak that truth to you that he is full of mercy and it's his grace at work in you right now that is revealing your heart in a new way. I do feel like that also, that place of deeper self-knowledge and grace from the Lord is a starting point for deeper healing for your wife. And I I don't want to encourage you to just jump in with um, kind of everything that the Lord has been speaking to your heart. If she has no forewarning, I think in our relationship, it has been helpful to kind of gradually ease into things to maybe say, I I feel like the Lord is working on my heart and I, I... I want to be able to share some things with you if we can just be praying for the right time. That's very important. Ways to just, you know, initiate and prepare the heart for deeper things, and and maybe to ask the Lord to show you questions. You should ask your wife. You know, what have you sensed about me, or why do you, you know, what do you feel, and and why do you think you feel it? So not that she's um, at fault or. I don't know her situation, but just to open up more communication about things that haven't been fully communicated about yet, um, in a gradual loving way, always praying for the Holy Spirit to guide you and, and bless yourself with holy water. Don't let the, you know, the evil one derail what is a work of grace in your marriage. I also, um, and remembering a movie that is has been very impactful to us is called The Crucible. Mm. And just in hearing your story, I I don't know whether it would be helpful to you in your own um, just prayer yourself, Joe, to watch that movie and just reflect on uh, the work of Mercy in this couple. But um, it's yeah, just Wendy, coming to my mind.
0: Yeah, Wendy, that's a great, great suggestion. We have been so deeply moved by this movie Um the husband in this movie is unfaithful and a lot of the movie deals with their working that out in their relationship and they yeah they come to a beautiful realization of god's mercy it's very powerful um, can you imagine joe saying to your wife i really want to work on growing an intimacy in our relationship and and when i say intimacy i don't i don't mean we sometimes use that as a a synonym for sexual intimacy, for sexual union. Sexual union is only an experience of intimacy to the degree that the rest of our relationship is intimate. And, and I, I heard it said years ago, it's always stayed with me, it's an f- interesting way to understand the word intimacy as into me see meaning really revealing your heart, opening your heart to one another. And that means the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. That's what we really desire. We desire to be seen as we truly are and loved as we truly are. And can you imagine, Joe, just saying to your wife, I want us to grow in genuine intimacy. And we both know there are blocks to that. Can we can we take steps to go on a journey of deeper intimacy? Maybe watch those retreats that I mentioned in your patron com, uh, community membership page. Watch them together. Could you imagine that? And unfolding in time in appropriate ways. What has really happened? Not doing that will will forever be a block. To into me see, mm, true. what you're really desiring is to be seen, and if you are withholding something that has is part of your life, part of your heart, it's really a block to genuine intimacy. Again, in the right way, in the right time, with the guiding, uh, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, uh, not just plopping it out there, but as an as part of an overall journey of growth uh, towards more genuine intimacy, Joe, we are we are lifting you up in prayer, you and your wife, and we're asking all of our listeners: Could you please? Would you be willing? This is this is part of the the grace of being part of this community that listens to this podcast. There are thousands of people around the world hearing this, and I I want to invite everyone around the world listening to this podcast. Could you offer some prayer, some sacrifice for Joe and for his wife, that they will have the grace of healing here and grow in genuine into me see. Lord, we lift up Joe, we lift up his wife. We lift up this fear that we all have, Lord, of having our true brokenness on display and being found unlovable. Jesus, even when human beings fail us here, you love us. You have shown your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sin, you saw us, you knew us, you loved us, and you poured out that love upon us. May that love be poured out on Joe and his wife right now, and may it heal the wounds that have existed between them. Yes, Lord. May this journey take them into deeper into me see. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
1: Our next question is from a listener named Emily.
0: Hello, Emily.
1: Could you talk about Theology of the Body as it relates to priests, specifically when they act as an alter Christus in the sacraments? It seems like there's some really interesting territory to be covered there, but I never seem to hear about it.
0: Yes, Emily. I oh man, I could go on and on and on and on and on for on this question, but I, I don't
1: I want to say something oh, please. quickly. Whenever there's a question about theology specifically, yeah, yeah. I just feel like, "Oh, thank you, listener for asking that because <laughs> that just brings out special gifts that you have and I'm happy for you to share them." So, go for it. <laughs>
0: Yes, there's so much I could say. Uh, I have written about this in all of my books. I would point you to uh, Good News About Sex and Marriage, the chapter on celibacy, and it touches on priesthood as well in that chapter. Uh, I write about this in Theology of the Body for Beginners. Uh, I write about it in a new book coming out later this year called Eating the Sunrise, Mm. Meditations on the Liturgy and our hunger for beauty. That's probably my most extensive unfolding of priesthood as uh, the the man living in Persona Christi. Theology of the body shines a bright, bright light on priesthood. And to get to that in a short way, in a s- s- summary way, kind of summing up what we learn in Theology of the Body, we, we have to look at the Eucharist and understand it as This is a quote from John Paul II. The Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride, and this is why only a man can be a priest. Priesthood is the gift of the bridegroom to the bride for the sake of holy communion and for the sake of the bride conceiving new life. Right? We are created male and female, St. Paul tells us, and called to become one flesh as a great mystery, a great sign, a great sacrament that reveals the innermost truth of Christ's union with the church. Why did Christ come as a male? Could he have come as a female? Not if we understand the meaning of the sexual difference the symbolic meaning of the sexual difference, as the revelation of the love between God and humanity. In the spousal analogy of the Bible, God is always the bridegroom, and humanity is always the bride. Why is that? This is love. Not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us. What does this mean? How does this translate into the sexual difference? Look at the anatomy which is not only anatomical it's theological mm. right the anatomy reveals that is the man who gives the seed the man the male is the one who generates life inside another the female is the one who generates life within inside herself this is of such great import. God has designed us this way to reveal a great mystery. God is not sexual. Let's let's just say that right up front. God is not male in the same—well, the second person of the Trinity took on a male body, yes. But God, in the eternal existence of the Trinity, is not sexual, right? We have to be very clear that when we call God Father, we're not assigning to Him male characteristics in a biological sense. That does come with the Incarnation and the second person of the Trinity. But within God, the Catechism says there's no place for the difference of the sexes. But in the Incarnation, God sent His Son born of a woman. It's always male and female together that reveal this mystery, because it is male and female together that form the Holy Communion that brings life into the world woman, in it, in her symbolic, iconic uh, uh, mystery, reveals the truth of the creature. The creature is the one who opens to receive the divine life within, right? God here being bridegroom, God generates outside himself. Humanity being bride, we are The creature who receives God within. So John Paul II says woman is the model and archetype of the whole human race. The male is just as much a creature as the female, but in his masculinity, he becomes the symbol—this is an important word—the symbol of God as bridegroom and God as father. Right? Where does a man train to be a priest— He trains in the seminary because he's the one who gives the seed outside of himself so that the bride can conceive and bear new life. This is love, not that we first love God, but that that he first loved us. It is the man who, who gives that seed, who initiates that gift. This is where the sexual difference matters. If a woman were to attempt to confer the Eucharist, The relationship would now be bride to bride, and there would be no possibility of a holy communion and no possibility of new life. And yet, in a world where we believe two women can get married, we also think a woman can be a priest. Both come from the very same confusion. Lord, open our eyes. Show us the symbolic meaning of being created male and female. It doesn't mean the male is divine right? But he symbolizes the divine. The female symbolizes the human. We need both for there to be a holy communion. Now, I'm trying to sum up a lot, a lot of complex stuff very quickly here. (laughs) Forgive me for for rattling on, but I, I do want to just add this also, in the body of Christ, we are all the body of Christ, male and female together. Remember, Paul says, in the body of Christ, there's no longer male nor female. We are all one body in Him. But we become that one body not by eliminating the difference, but by living it out appropriately. right? And in that one body, through baptism, men become bride, and women become priests, But this is not in the ordained sense, right? In as much as we are all part of Christ's priesthood by being baptized, we're all baptized into the priesthood of all believers. So every woman already shares in that priesthood through her baptism. But as soon as you single out a single person from the congregation of baptized to symbolize the church, it has to be a woman, This is why a man can't be a nun, right? Because the nun is the symbol of the bride, the church. And as soon as you single out one member of the congregation to live in persona Christi as the bridegroom, an alter Christus, as Emily put it, another Christ, sacramentally, it has to be a male because Christ came as the bridegroom, This is where the sexual difference matters. Women are ordained to be mothers. Men are ordained to be fathers. Uh, A woman can no more be a priest than a man can get pregnant in the ordained sense of the priesthood. This is where the sexual difference matters. Priesthood is not a career choice. It's not the same as I can be a doctor, I can be a lawyer, I can be an astronaut. Uh, Absolutely women can do that. There's nothing about the fact that they ovulate that prevents them from doing that but there is something that prevents them from being a father, because they ovulate. They don't produce sperm, right? They they are ordained by God to be mothers. This is where the sexual difference matters, in the call to holy communion and in the call to generate new life. What is true in the order of nature is true in the order of grace, because grace never cancels out nature, it perfects it. I could write a doctoral dissertation on this, um, I, that's about all I can say right now in the context of this podcast. Please, please, please read uh, Good News About Sex and Marriage, where I go into much more detail here, and, and we'll put a link in the show notes.
1: Just because it's fun to hear Wendy say something to each question, I'll just throw in a comment to you, Emily, just from a, a little different take on it. When You just talked about theology of the body and priesthood, so I'll just throw this one out there, that a man who comes to faith cannot just by praying make himself a priest that's right he's you don't have that power without the gift of bodily sacraments he has to have the ordaining hands of a bishop laid upon him and that bishop who ordains him has also been ordained by the hands of one who has been ordained and that link of bodily, masculine, uh, Holy Spirit flowing goes all the way back to Jesus laying his hands on his apostles as the first bishops. And that's just a beautiful food for thought as we think about theology of the body and the priesthood is is the, the actual physical bodily chain that exists in ordination and in all sacraments.
0: I, I once heard a, a, a colleague who was teaching this vision to others, and he he talked about a German professor of mine, of, of his, excuse me, a German professor of him who said, he walked into the classroom one day, he said, why are there two sexes? Why are there two sexes? We have to press into this, and if we do, we will arrive at why only a man can be a priest. There are two sexes because They're not interchangeable. The modern world has come to this conclusion wrongly that men and women are simply interchangeable. There are lots of things that men and women can both do, but there's at least one thing a woman can do that a man can't do—get pregnant. Never going to happen. There's at least one thing a man can do that a woman can't do, because she's not a man, and that's generate life as a father, right? This is where the sexual difference matters— in fatherhood and motherhood, and priesthood is spiritual fatherhood. To be capable of being a father in the spirit, you must be capable of being a father in the flesh because of the integrity of body and soul. Matter matters, and to say it doesn't undermines, not just undermines, attacks uh, directly, a direct hit against the whole Mystery of the Christian faith and the word made flesh as a male in the womb of a female. Jesus and Mary reveal the full truth of being male and female. Mary, Jesus, show us who we are. Amen.
1: Our next question is from a listener named Lucy. My husband has different views on the necessity of following the teachings of the Catholic Church. It has brought on many arguments and at times has caused me to fall into sin because of my weakness in standing up for myself and my faith. Do you see it as possible for one to stay in such a marriage, to hopefully be a good example for the other, or must one come out of it in order to save one's soul?
0: Bless you, Lucy. Wow, that's, that's a heavy cross you're carrying, my dear sister. Bless you, bless you. I do believe firmly that one can stay in such a marriage and, by God's grace, carry a heavy cross that leads both to your salvation and to his. And here I often tell the story in this context of a difficult marriage like this. I often tell the story of Elizabeth Lesue and her husband, Felix. They lived about a hundred years ago. And it was a very difficult marriage. She was a believer. He was not. And she asked the Lord for the grace to bear whatever suffering she must bear for the conversion of her husband. And in some time, she, she had a painful cancer. And she offered all of that suffering for the conversion of her husband. She died without seeing the conversion of her husband. But after her death, her husband Felix found her journals and read about her great love, read about how she had offered all the suffering for his conversion. Not only was he converted, but he became a Catholic priest, and he devoted his priesthood to working with the Vatican on the cause for canonization of his own wife. (laughs) So, the call to holiness in marriage does not mean it's going to be a rosy marriage. They did not have a rosy marriage but they had a holy marriage because of her great love, because of her learning the way of offering those sorrows, those those griefs, those great sufferings. Because she was married to an unbeliever, she offered them for his conversion. And when we unite our sufferings in that way with Christ, they bear fruit. We may not see that fruit in this life, but we can pr- we can trust in Christ's promises that whatever suffering we unite with His will bear its fruit.
1: Lucy, yes, I I hear your heart in this question of just um, how painful it is to be not treated with respect and uh, not be feel joined together in the importance of faith. That that is a very painful cross that you're living, and I want to assure you that. Um, You aren't alone in that situation. Christopher's example is is one of many um, where this very difficult cross has been fruitful and life-changing for the spouse. You shouldn't be walking this alone. And I just encourage you to take time apart with the Lord, you know, to make the priority not only following rules, but growing in intimacy with the Lord and allowing him to heal the wounds that you have suffered in this marriage. The more he heals you, the more grace will flow through you. And that's not something, you don't just heal yourself, you go to him in your need and you open your heart and you invite his grace in and his light and his mercy and his incredible love for you, his delight in you that gives you that incredible gift of strength to carry a hard cross and to even experience joy and knowledge that he's really on this journey with you every step of the way that's my prayer for you Lucy
0: i'm reminded Lucy of a scripture and uh, thank god for google when you can't remember chapter and verse but i invite you to just google the scripture the unbelieving spouse sanct excuse me the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. St. Paul says that in one of his letters. And I would encourage you just to, to pray into that. The believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. Lord, we lift up Lucy and her husband to you. We ask that you would shine a bright light on the path forward for Lucy in loving her husband. We ask that your light would shine a bright path for Lucy in learning the way of loving her unbelieving husband and allowing her belief to sanctify him. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our episode today. We look forward to being with you again next week. Share this episode with anybody you think may be blessed by it. And until then, may you be blessed to know deep in your bones that you're an indispensable irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love.
1: Become what you are.
0: Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, A list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.